1: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 65, being recorded on Thursday, January 12th, 2017. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason,
0: and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. As a reminder, Jason and I are going to be live podcasting from the NRF Big Show, which is in New York City, very soon, January 15th to 17th. If you've never been to the Big Show... Well, this is your chance. Uh, there's a reason it's called the Big Show. There's over 33,000 attendees, uh, all kinds of big keynotes from the likes of Richard Branson, a global audience, lots of content, and the entire Javits Center is filled up with exhibit halls across several um, different halls. Uh, and an exclusive offer for listeners: if you use the code uh, Jason and Scott twenty, that's Jason J A S O N and Scott with one T. Two zero at checkout, you'll get a twenty percent discount exclusive to our listeners. Uh, we're going to be in the clubhouse podcasting, and there'll be uh, we'll, we'll publish a watch for it on Twitter. We'll publish a schedule of when and where we're podcasting. We have two locations we're podcasting from. You're welcome to come uh, visit with us in either location. Uh so with that out of the way Jason you are fresh back from CES ish you had a little cold there so we had to delay the podcast a bit but glad you're feeling better um would so this episode we're going to focus on uh CES and I'm curious how how was the trip how was Vegas
1: Uh it was awesome Scott this uh you know CES is the the big consumer electronics show that happens every year in Las Vegas it's the largest trade show in the US um, and I had the dubious distinction, this was my 28th year at CES. Wow. I didn't even know you were that old. Uh, I, I started as a, uh, a young teenager uh, doing product demos for Commodore business machines on the trade show floor at CES. Wow. Um, but yeah. I have to say the show is actually 50 years old, so there are folks that have been there a lot longer than I.
0: Wow. Yeah. The um, Commodore. Wow. We'll have to have some Amiga stories sometime.
1: Oh, I would, I would love to. I, I still uh, may have an original Amiga one thousand laying around. Wow, cool.
0: The, um, so I have a. Trillion questions about what you saw and kind of what some of the trends are, uh, but before we go there, let's let's kind of take a step up thirty thousand feet. Why do why does retail geek go to CES other than your love of gadgets? So if we take that aside, I assume there's there's more to it than that. And you know why why do you think CES is important, or or people in the retail industry should listen to this podcast we're about to record?
1: Yeah. Well, the the short personal answer is Hanukkah list would obviously be the. The most important reason for CES, um, but in the the bigger picture. This used to be a buying show. And so you know retailers came to the show to see what new TVs Sony was going to offer and decide what to carry for the year. Um, that role of this kind of show is long gone. It hasn't been that kind of show for probably 15 years. And so what the show is really focused on now is creating buzz and PR for new products and new product categories to help make them successful in the marketplace. And as a result... Um, this is the show where a lot of new products and new, new uh, categories of products get launched. Um, and so it, it can be a very important trend watching from that regard. I mean, this, this is the show where the, the VCR was launched and the DVD was launched and HDTV was launched. Um, the, uh, indirectly, this is the show where the, the iPhone was originally launched 10 years ago. It was actually launched because of this show uh, during this show, but not at this show. So it was a clever piece of judo from, from Steve Jobs when he first launched the, the iPhone. Um, and so as a result of the, uh, all of these distinctive products that, that came to life originally at CES, it's important for that kind of overt trend watching. But now the show's become so large with 175,000 attendees and over 3,000 exhibitors. Um, that it, it's also very good for micro-trend watching. So, you know, you, you go and you, you see thousands of new products and, and you pretty quickly get a sense of, like, how are products evolving and what's, what do product designers think is going to be important to consumers in the year ahead and, you know, which, which products are going to be winners and which ones are, you know, potentially going to be losers. So um, it's, uh, CES has become... Uh, a key trend watching show for uh, business stakeholders in all industries. I I was uh, leading tours for Razorfish, and I was I, I took contingents from retailers, but also from some of the largest financial institutions in the in the U.S. From some of the the largest uh, restaurants in the U.S., like a wide variety of people were interested in what they could learn about uh, changing consumer preferences from CES.
0: Cool. Well, as the guy doing the tours, what we thought we would do is um, kind of split the show in half. There were some some smaller kind of snack size trends that that you saw that that we'll cover. And then, um, you know, there was there's a really big trend that we want to make sure we kind of go a little bit deeper in. So let's start with the snack size. So what were some of the things that, that you came away from the show thinking would be interesting for listeners?
1: Yep. Well, one, uh, evolution in the last couple years of this show is car manufacturers have started to participate. Um, and that, that was only recently the case. Um, last year was really the year that, you know, it became noticeable that a bunch of car manufacturers uh, exhibited for the first time. And, you know, the, in, in the U S uh, the Detroit auto show is going on as we speak. So that it's the week after CES. And so it was very interesting to see manufacturers showing up at this show. And, um, well, the bulk of new car models are being launched at the auto show. What, what all the manufacturers are talking about at this show are three big, big technology trends in automotive. And those, those three trends, they're talking an awful lot about the electrification of the car and, and shifting to all electric vehicles. And, you know, one new car manufacturer, Faraday, actually, Launch their their new production electric car at the show, and I, I know Scott, you own a Tesla. You're probably going to have to get one of these Faradays to so that you can give us a, a proper uh, compare and contrast um, review on that
0: yeah yeah I saw um I watched the live stream of that and it was uh it was a mixture of uh some of it was amazing and then some of it was an epic fail some of the stuff they did on stage failed uh, but then they had a car self park in a parking lot just out in Las Vegas and that worked pretty well um, the presenter uh, was very strange and got bad reviews and then the interior of the car looked like it was made of cardboard so a lot of people were kind of like There's a lot of skepticism around that company that it's really real and and if they'll launch a car, so we'll have to wait and see. I haven't put a deposit down on one.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it, uh, last year they showed their first, um, prototype and this year they're showing what they're alleging is a production vehicle, which seems like a stretch. Um, there were a lot of rumors last year that Apple was a minority investor in them. And I, I, I don't know that those have been confirmed or debunked. Um, but I think you're exactly right. I think there are people excited about it. There's like some interesting new innovation in the vehicle. um, and there are a lot of people skeptical that that these guys can actually bring a, a a production car to market. So so we'll have to see. But electrification was a big theme across the board. Uh, BMW was showing um, some new electric cars. Mercedes was showing their first electric car. Um, almost everyone had had concepts around electric cars. And and you know the not uh, unsurprisingly, like the the features in the electric cars keep getting better. The capacity gets better. The charge times get faster. Um, you know that that's certainly an interesting space. The other big trend for in automotive was connectivity, and uh, all all these cars are now uh, connected to the cloud, and soon they'll be connected to each other. So they talk a lot about. V-to-V uh, networks, vehicle-to-vehicle, as well as V-to-C networks, vehicle-to-cloud, and all kinds of uh, new consumer services that and products that can be offered when the cars are talking to each other and, and have good bandwidth to the cloud. So lots of trends around connectivity. Um, and then the to me the the most interesting of the three trends was autonomy, um, and you know every, everyone was demonstrating autonomous cars. You mentioned the the Faraday had a, a self parking mode. Um, BMW has a cool exhibit in the parking lot at CES, where if you're willing to wait in a usually fairly long line, um, you you can actually uh, get in a an autonomous i three um, that you call from a parking lot. Like so the. The demonstrator has a BMW watch and he pushes the watch. The car unparks itself, drives, picks you up, takes you on a little tour of the Las Vegas parking lot um, with you in the passenger seat, uh, lets you out and then goes and parks itself. Um, so lots, lots of interesting new things happening in, in autonomy. So all three of those trends made, made automotive, you know, one of the bigger parts of the show. Did you get to do that experience, or you were too busy doing your tours? Uh, so I have gotten to do the BMW one in the past, and it's the only autonomous vehicle that I've been in that's moving. Um, I've been in an, uh, there, you know, there are all these interesting use cases. Like uh, VW uh, demonstrated a use case. It's an autonomous vehicle, but not with you in it. So um, you teach the vehicle how to park in your your garage and or your your you know, your parking lot in your condo building. Um, and the car just drops you off at the front and then goes and parks on its own. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I've gotten to do that one as well. Um, there, you know, there is this really interesting thing in autonomy. They have these, these five, um, categories that the auto industry has made for defining different levels of autonomy. And the, the sort of basic cruise control in most of our cars is, is, category one, um, a tool that takes over one function for the driver. um, Category 2 cars can take over most of the driving functions in certain circumstances. And so that that would be like the autopilot in your Tesla is a Category 2 car. Um, There are no Category 3 cars that are commercially available yet, but what what they're mainly showing at this show and promising for 2018 are these Category 3 cars that can take over all driving functions in certain um, situations. So that might mean... It can take over all the driving functions on the freeway, um, but it can't do surface streets, for example, or, you know, in in fair weather, but not in snow or things like that. But what that literally means is um, that the driver has to be available to take over for the car, but the driver doesn't have to be an active participant while the, the car is driving. And then they've identified this. Category four, where, you know, in certain circumstances, the vehicle doesn't even need to have a steering wheel. So the car can handle all driving functions. The driver's allowed to be watching a movie or eating lunch or doing whatever they want. Um, but the vehicle might be restricted to certain roads. And the, the industry is super excited about category four because that's obviously going to put a bunch of commercial truckers out of business. And then category five is this a uh, completely autonomous vehicle that drives autonomously in any circumstances. And there are still a lot of smart people in the auto industry that say um that, that that literally might not happen in our lifetime.
0: Yeah. We're um so some of the other folks that are involved here, so Apple's rumored to be doing things, obviously they wouldn't exhibit uh Uber, um and then Google is kind of – they're pivoting their stuff from building a car to being more of an add-on. So maybe they would be there. Did you see any of those other autonomous folks there?
1: Uh, yep. So uh, Google did not have a booth, which is interesting. Like their technology was on display in some of the booths. Um, Intel actually has an autonomous platform um, for processing all of the various sensors. Um, and so it's called Intel Go, and they they were demonstrating it. It, it was one of the weird juxtapositions of this show. Um, because all the cars are now connected to the internet, and all of these uh, you know n- technologies like like Nvidia and Intel and are core in autonomous vehicles. You know, you go to the central hall, which is like the home entertainment hall where Intel is, and where in, uh, Nvidia uh, used to be, and you see cars in their booth. And then you know you go to the the car hall the north hall where all the auto manufacturers are and you see all kinds of internet of things examples and and uh, you know smart appliances because those are integrated to the car so it's 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 you know these these uh, trends have kind of converged a lot of the booths
0: interesting yeah uh okay cool uh, outside of a uh, me what else was interesting
1: Uh, Yep. So a a big trend, uh, you know, I just sort of referenced is the the Internet of Things, and you know, maybe even more specifically, uh, home automation. Um, So uh, the CES takes all of the Las Vegas Convention Center, which is three big exhibit halls, takes uh, upstairs and downstairs at the Sands Convention Hall, which is two other big convention halls. One of those convention halls at the Sands is dedicated to home automation, and so there are hundreds of booths. Of folks that are, you know, inventing home automation networks and interoperability and hubs and things that can, you can program or interface to things like if then, then this, um, if this, then that, uh, all, all of these kind of home automation systems. And then it, the Las Vegas Convention Center in the, the central hall, which is all the, the home entertainment stuff, you have the, Sony, Samsung, LG, Panasonic, and they're all showing all of the devices that they traditionally sell TVs, refrigerators, washers, dryers, uh, ovens, uh, that they're now in, uh, interfacing to home automation systems. And so, you know, no matter where you look, home automation was a theme. And kind of the interesting subplot there is, Many of these solutions are based on open systems, so you get interoperability between different devices and different manufacturers. And uh, not shockingly, a number of the, the consumer electronics manufacturers um, are, are offering home automation solutions that are sort of walled gardens or locked into their own brand of products. And so you, you see this, this interesting fight between the companies that want to win based on the network effect and having lots of people using their platform and the folks that want to win with sort of lock in and making you buy more stuff from them because it works well with the, the stuff you already bought from them.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, as someone that tinkers in this, I'm sure you've seen it too, you have to be really careful with this home automation stuff because a lot of times you'll go buy this thing that's supposedly going to do something and then you read the setup instructions and it's like, oh, you need our proprietary hub and you're like, uh. Um, even all these things that claim to be open, they they have some kind of a hub requirement and it's, it's never really clear on the packaging. So you have to really do a lot of research on this stuff in my experience before you buy it.
1: Yep, and even if it works, even if it interoperates, uh, it may not work as well as it does with the, uh, the platform it's natively intended to work with, so it's 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 not even as binary as works or doesn't works. It, it's sort of how well it works and how how fast it responds and how reliable it is. Um, one that's interesting is Apple is actually a player in the home automation networks. They they have a platform they call HomeKit. And, uh, you know, they launched it a few years ago, but there haven't been a lot of HomeKit compatible products, only a handful. And this year really felt like a year when there were a lot more Apple HomeKit products. And so this may be the first year that like really using HomeKit as your, your home automation standard is viable. And of course, the the benefit to HomeKit for for folks that are on the Apple ecosystem is you can control all those devices uh, from Siri on your phone or on your Apple TV, and uh, the in the latest version of the operating system for Apple, the iOS ten, there's actually a, a the home automation control is built into the OS. So like even in that little control panel that you swipe up at the bottom of your phone to like go into airplane mode um there are buttons on that on that panel to turn on and off your lights and do things like that if if you're using homekit.
0: Yeah, I did that with my um uh, I put a lot of inflatables out for Christmas and I had them on homekit. And it was pretty cool. I could just kind of turn them on and off from
1: wherever I was. Nice. Inflatables?
0: Yeah, you put them out uh you're a city dweller. You put them in your yard and they uh they have fans in them and they blow up. And do <laughs> they float or just like like No, they're anchored to the ground and um so as you can imagine, I have a whole fleet of Star Wars ones. So we've got some Star Wars ones there. So like Darth Vader holding some Christmas cookies. Uh, and then we've got a fair number of penguins, stuff like that. We put like 20 in our yard.
1: I feel like we're going to need some photos of the Wingo uh, front front uh, Christmas <laughs> decorations for the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll do it next year. I'm totally excited. <laughs> um, so that was a big trend. Uh, and then. Uh, a, a couple of other things that stood out to me uh, you know we talked about some of the big products that have launched at this show uh, arguably you could say this is the year at CES that they launched um, 5g wireless networks and uh, this is potentially really exciting uh, most of the world right now is using a fourth generation wireless network that we call LTE and uh, under optimum conditions it it gives us about 200 megabits per second of bandwidth um, and so you know, most of us that, that are walking around with our iPhones or, or our Android phones are, are getting that you know kind of 150 to 200 megabits per second uh, bandwidth. These 5G networks are, are expected to get 14 to 18 gigabits of, of bandwidth. And so that's about 175 times more throughput than we're used to now. And as you can imagine... Um, when that happens, that's a total game changer for the kinds of things you can do on wireless devices, and the uh, you know the, the things that we still sort of think of as being anchored to a uh, a home or a cable today that we're you know going to be able to seamlessly do on uh, 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 wirelessly in the future. So that's that's potentially pretty exciting. Cool. The and 5G is live in some
0: countries like Singapore is that right? or South Korea,
1: yeah. And I don't even think like ubiquitously in South Korea, I think there are some limited installations. And at the moment, the standard isn't even set. So, like, what those, those are really like little test markets. And they, they unless they're upgraded via firmware or something, they're not even going to be necessarily compatible with what ultimately gets deployed. Um, but they did have several live demos at CES, so it's possible that I've developed a brain tumor by walking around with some of these these uh, non-FCC-certified 5G demos. Um, but, you know, for example... Uh, you and I you know've talked a little bit about drones, and most drones send wireless video from the drone to your your controller, or you know if you're uh slightly more geeky you'd wear a headset and you'd see the video from the drone in your headset and it would be uh Kind of a cool first person first person perspective on the on the drone. With 5G, they're showing demos of the drone having a 360-degree virtual camera um, and being able to send live 360-degree video from the drone to the headset. So now um, you're in the you're you're getting the perspective of the drone, but you can turn your head in any direction, up, down, left, right, and see anywhere from the perspective of the drone. Uh, You could have passengers probably. Yeah. You could be like, hey, you know, come watch my drone flight. Exactly. Kind of like a, yeah. Uh, And so that, you know, so drones is one use case, but just being able to wirelessly broadcast 360-degree video or virtual reality environments... You know, those are things we can't do very well in wireless right now. But one of the big things we need 5G for is all the autonomous vehicles we just talked about. A lot of the the bandwidth to get to the uh, the use cases to get to that sort of category three and category four car require uh, exchanging much more data with a vehicle than we can do over a 4G network. So So 5G is really a precursor for some of the truly autonomous vehicles as well.
0: Yeah, the ones, the prototypes have all of that on board. They have to have a fair amount of compute power and they're not really use the cloud per se to to do much.
1: Exactly. But like in production and at scale, it's likely that that the cloud would play a more prominent role.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Cool. So 5G is coming soon. Um, And then last year you reported there was a lot of payment activity uh, and there was kind of an e-commerce pavilion. Did they have that again this year?
1: They did. And uh, I'm sorry to say it's kind of lame. Um, so they, last year they had, you know, they, they designate different parts of the floor for different use cases. And last year was the first time they actually had a commerce section on the, on the floor. And it was in the South Hall, kind of far back, so not a great location. But I, of course, you know, eagerly made the trek down there to see what was there. Um, and it wasn't great last year. So I was curious to see, You know, would it get more traction this year in its second year? And if anything, I would say it had less traction. So the big exhibitor there was MasterCard, and MasterCard spent a bunch of money. They they have a very uh, large presence, but I I would almost say they had fewer uh, demos and use cases in that presence this year than they did last year. So they're demonstrating like a... A vending machine that you can make purchases with, with MasterPass and a a laundromat scenario where you can use your phone to find out if the washer and dryer are available before you, you swept down there with your clothes and then can notify you when your clothes are done and pay with MasterPass. And they're, they're, they're big on a lot of, um, uh NFC tokens inside of jewelry and wearables that you can use as payment vehicles so so they're showing all that stuff which is you know great like they've shown that at a lot of other shows so i didn't see anything that i thought was particularly new there um Amazon had a very small booth that was dedicated to Amazon web services or i'm sorry uh Amazon marketing services so you know getting existing sellers on the Amazon platform to use more of their services services to increase Visibility and, and uh, revenue on the platform, and I I found that interesting. You know, Amazon's got this huge consumer product in the in the Echo. You could have expected them to be exhibiting that in a big booth. Um, they they uh, you know you could have expected them to have a big booth dedicated to to recruiting new sellers and things like that. And you know, no, they didn't have any of that. The one thing they had was was uh, consuming more marketing services if you're already a seller. Um, and so that that section was a little disappointing. Um, but then I will say Alibaba had a big booth, and they were doing a number of interesting things in their booth. They just chose not to be in the e-commerce pavilion. So they took a much better location in the front of the Central Hall, which has a, much, a lot more traffic. It was right next to the LG booth. And they dedicated a lot of space to... Recruiting new sellers and you know uh, recruiting Western brands to sell in, uh, to Chinese consumers via the the Tmall platform, and so they they had you know that which wasn't surprising, um, but they also were demoing a lot of the new payment technologies that they had debuted. So they had Pay with a Smile, which is their sort of facial recognition technology for for making AliPay payments. Um, they had a VR e-commerce experience that they first debuted at Singles Day this year, so you could. Kind of you know, browse a virtual Macy's store and per- make purchases with a glance by focusing on purchase buttons in the store. So be careful where you look in that demo. Um, and then one thing that I had read about but hadn't really resonated uh, is that Alibaba has also created their own operating system called Yunos Y U N O S, which is apparently uh, phonetically Chinese for Cloud OS. And this is their own variant of Android with a free license. Um, and it's apparently very successful. It's like the number two or three operating system for, for uh, smartphones in China. And at this show, they were debuting a bunch of consumer electronics products that they had partnered with the manufacturer that were running the UNO, the, the UNOS platform. So they were showing refrigerators and, and um, ovens and washing machines and tablets, that that we're all all running that UNOS operating system. So you know we talk a lot about the other businesses of Amazon and the advantages that they have given. Like this, you know, uh, clearly is a significant investment for Alibaba as well.
0: Interesting. Yeah, they're um, looking at their results. They haven't announced Q4, but their Q3 results. One of the big growers for them is their cloud computing. So they're they're kind of a fast follower of Amazon on some of this stuff. So it, it's interesting. Is the OS a is it an Android derivative, or is it totally clean like that Samsung one that I can never remember the name of?
1: Yeah, no, so it, it's an Android derivative, but uh, and I forget what the right vernacular is. Um, there's Android is an open-source OS, so there's a version of Android that you can use royalty-free, um, and then there's a licensed version of Android that you have to pay Google to use. And so UNOS is based on the royalty-free version. So for example, it, it doesn't have access to the Google Play Store or a lot of the amenities that, that we think of in Android OS, but it's based on, on a, the same or a very similar kernel to the, to the Android OS that we use.
0: Cool, interesting. And I guess the, the primary things they're were showing were kind of embedded situations like in you know inside of devices, not a phone OS per se.
1: Yeah, although they did have some, like, tablets that were basically running it. Um, And and I understand in China that it is a phone OS for a lot of devices, but I I didn't see them demoing one of those phones in the booth.
0: Interesting. Did uh, the other Chinese phone guys Uh, have a presence?
1: Yeah. uh, So – the. There have been years when this is a huge show for phones. Um, there's now the largest phone show in the world is next month in Barcelona called the Barcelona uh, World Congress is the big telco show. So more phones get launched there than at CES. Um, but there there were a couple of new phones, and the one that got a lot of buzz um, is uh, this Chinese manufacturer called Wei, and they, they have been making uh, – uh, premium smartphones for a while, and they launched a phone at CES that has Amazon Alexa embedded in it.
0: Mm, yeah, well, we'll have to hold that thought. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. Um, Okay, before we jump into Alexa, uh, how about virtual reality? Was this kind of the, you haven't mentioned it yet, you kind of hinted at it with the 360 view cameras and stuff. Was this kind of the year VR really kind of went mainstream at CES, or was it still more of kind of a sideshow?
1: So that, uh, it depends on how you look at it. Like, uh, there was a ton of VR at the show. um, And, you know, I, I would kind of break it into at least like three groups. There's this. The VR, which are these immersive virtual experiences like the Oculus and Vive and others. Um there was a you know, there's a ton of AR stuff, uh, like the HoloLens and a bunch of others. Um and then, you know, there's some close cousins of AR that that manufacturers are calling mixed reality. And so there there are a few of those sorts of things. And then there's all this 360-degree video, which to me isn't really AR or VR, but it's sort of an interesting evolution of of the video standards and um, those all four of those technologies were all over the place. They were used to demo products that had nothing to do with, with, with the AR VR, but you know, just use as a demo. So in the Intel booth, if you wanted to learn about the Intel go platform for car automation, they were actually handing out Hololens sets. So you could put one on and see the, the BMW they had in the car annotated with all this AR information about the car. So, the platforms were super popular there um it's It's not clear that anyone thinks this is gonna be you know the huge year for v r and that you know uh we're suddenly gonna sell billions of dollars in v r hardware and that the whole world is worried about ramping down their television production and instead getting ready to broadcast everything in in v r standards so it it feels like very popular at CES, but but not necessarily a big bet for anyone in terms of the next big you know mass consumer adoption. Mm, okay, were all the big guys
0: there? So did uh, did Facebook have a slash Oculus and HTC and all those guys? Or were they just kind of more spread around?
1: No, there is more. They had presence in other people's booths. So Facebook had no booth. Um, you know they did last year, but so no Oculus demos. Although the Oculus was in a ton of other booths. Uh Vive did have a booth there. Microsoft doesn't have a booth, so you know, again, the Hololens was in a bunch of other booths, but not not uh, demo directly. So it it definitely, um, it, it it felt like it was more common, but it just it just didn't feel like it alone had a ton of buzz.
0: Hmm, interesting bummer. I guess you and I will have to just carry the the water on this thing for for a while more.
1: <laughs> exactly. I will say, and you know, only I would notice this, but um. In Qualcomm's booth, which is one of the big chip manufacturers uh, for wireless, uh, they were showing the Lenovo phone that we've talked about on this show. Um, that It's been out for about a year now, but it uses the Google Tango technology, which is the AR technology in the phone. And the phone has two cameras that can uh, see things in stereo, so it can me- accurately measure distances. And they were running the, the um, IKEA demo experience that IKEA had built. And so this lets you kind of aim the phone at a piece of furniture and, um, you know, accurately see if that piece of furniture will fit in your home and change that furniture out for other furniture and get sort of, you know, not a really clunky kind of video overlay, but like a very photorealistic, you know, able to change angles and and see it from a variety of different angles, visualization of how Ikea furniture might work in your home. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I got to play with that. Um, it, it worked very well. Um, and, I, you know, I, I do think we're going to see that Google Tango technology show up in more and more phones. And once, you know, that, that technology is in everybody's pocket, I think that's really going to be an enabler for a lot of new commerce use cases. I think, you know, being able to accurately figure out what size garments you should buy from e-commerce experiences is going to become a lot easier. You know, maybe made-to-order apparel becomes much easier when you can take all these accurate measurements, um, all the home decor stuff. Um, there are a lot of interesting use cases when your phone can a- accurately measure your physical environment.
0: Very cool. I'm uh, uh, glad to get to see one of those. We've been talking about it for a while. Um, so those were kind of the snack size trends that you saw. Uh, so curious, what was the really big thing you saw? And I've, I've seen a lot of summaries of the show that kind of called what they thought was a clear winner. And I'm kind of curious if, if you kind of land in the same place, what, what, what were your thoughts on the, the big trends?
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, we we likely do agree. Um, we we called the winner of this show the overwhelming winner, the uh, Amazon Alexa, and um, the the reason we said that is that Alexa was embedded in seven hundred different products that were uh, launched at CES. Um, so it w- it was in a huge number of products. We've talked on the show about the huge growth in skills. So they're they're saying now that they have seven thousand skills on the platform. 700 partners on the platform, and the platform's you know less than a year old in terms of the APIs to let other people build skills and and uh, um integrate it into their product. And so everywhere you looked, I mentioned that Huawei uh, phone that has Aunt, uh, Alexa built into it. Like that's people are excited about that because all the other big voice platforms, the uh, Apple Siri, Microsoft Cortana. Um, Google Assistant, you know, are all like phone-based platforms. And, and as successful as Alexa's been, the one place it really didn't live was on a phone. So it's interesting to see phone manufacturers add it. Um, we also saw it in a bunch of appliances. So LG was showing it in all their smart appliances. So you you could talk to your refrigerator and put stuff on your shopping list or reorder stuff. There were like Simple Human that make all these kitchen and bathroom accessories they had an intelligent trash can, so you could use Alexa to open and close your trash can. Um, super important, you know. Uh, I think it's much too much work to wave your hand in front of the motion sensor in front of the trash can. Um, Ford and a few other car manufacturers were showing Alexa integrated into the dash of the car, which is super interesting. Um, dish was showing a a very good integration with, uh, their hopper DVR, their high end DVR and Alexa. And you, you know, you could control the DVR, you could pause and play and change channels, but you could also do sophisticated searches like, you know, uh, show me all the comedies that are on in the next half hour or, um, show me all the movies that Matt Damon had starred in or things like that. Um, and it, it was very responsive, um, and so just you name a product category, there was probably an example of Alexa integrated into it. And w- uh, uh, w- a couple of interesting things I wanted to quickly point out um, before we maybe deep dive into that. One product that wasn't exactly Alexa, but is in the same category, is we found a small vendor called Genie Can. And it's G-E-N-I Can. And I thought this was a super clever Amazon integration. Um, we've talked on this show about one of the Amazon replenishment products called Amazon Dash, which is this little wand that you put in your kitchen, and when you run out of milk, you you uh, scan, you use the wand to scan the barcode on the milk, and it automatically you know orders you more milk. Um, well, Genie can built that that wand um, into a trash can, and if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Like when you want to reorder the the frozen pizzas or the um, the uh, happy belly, uh, roasted almonds or, or, you know, whatever the product is, you're throwing away the old package. And so this is like literally a barcode scanner that you just, you know, swipe the product across the barcode scanner as you throw it away. And it, it reorders it from Amazon, which I thought was pretty clever.
0: Very cool. I think that's, uh, it's even better than the voice operated garbage can. I think so too. Cool. Um, so, so I think this is good to kind of go a little deep. It's kind of a mini deep dive. Um, one of the things that kind of came out of the show, I thought, was interesting. Is there's there's an analyst group called Evercore, uh, and Kinsen is the analyst there, and um, he's been really kind of cutting edge on on his his analyst analysis around Echo and. and Uh, Alexa. Um, And one of the things he came out with was kind of a financial analysis that I thought was interesting. And in there, he kind of said that they estimate Amazon spends a little over 300 million a year on Echo. So that's kind of the bar. uh, And that includes Alexa. I'll just kind of instead of saying both i'll just call echo um and what i thought thought was fascinating about it was a couple things so they estimate there's been five million echoes sold and they'll probably sell another five million this year i don't know how that kind of lines up with if you've ever seen any other analysis on that um so you know just put that in perspective it's it's not as big a hit as as obviously iphones and things but you know those are pretty good numbers it's kind of past the um you know the just experimental phase, uh, but still a lot of room to go. If you kind of think about it, uh, if we if that was just the U.S., that would be like five percent penetration, which is pretty impressive. Um, but I think that's a global number. Um, anyway, but
1: parenthetically, Scott, that that alone, if they did 500, uh, five million more this year, that would get them to the over that billion dollar mark that you you predicted a year ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, the. The other thing that I thought was really neat is when they broke down the cost. So take that three hundred million a year, and they kind of said, "Well, what is it?" And I kind of assumed that would be mostly people designing it, and you know they've talked about all these machine learning people they've had to have involved. Um, but it actually ends up it, by his analysis, and I don't know where he got this, but it seemed to be very well sourced. Uh, over half of it was hardware cost, and, and that's not building the hardware. That's actually hardware um, that that you know goes into the software of this thing. So, so very specific hardware they had to build. Uh, and then there, he found that there's the other half is people. So 140 million on people. Um, and he, he did the research and found there's actually 500 job openings now. So, you know, Amazon is like tripling down on this thing. Um, from a from a geeky perspective I thought you'd enjoy this the the biggest chunk of the hardware they've spent money on is they've spent about 50 million dollars on what they believe is the largest GPU node system uh, a GPU stands for graphic processing unit and uh, you know every uh, most PCs ship with a, a CPU which is your general processor and then something specialized for graphics and especially if you have an Xbox or something like that there's there's these things are GPU heavy Well, when you're doing this machine learning, it it ends up being very floating point intensive, and what they're finding is these GPUs are are, – there's been a breakthrough because all these things we do with consoles and smartphones and all, the the cost to build these GPUs, the chips have gone down, so you can actually build these very large node systems. and this one they have at amazon has over 6000 nodes uh, and that's what they've been training echo on and by training it against such a big piece of hardware they've gotten the the accuracy to you know uh, well over 95 98% which is what makes it so much better than a lot of the other systems out there um, so i thought that was interesting and another thing he kind of raised that i hadn't really thought about is Um, you know, so, so Google has their, uh, their similar thing out there and now Lenovo is coming out with one and I'm sure Microsoft will have one. Um, they're, they're kind of assistant products, but his point is those guys won't be able to monetize it beyond the device sales and Google's not a device company and, you know, Lenovo is Microsoft kind of is, but, um, you know, just, just to kind of keep it simple between Amazon and Google, um, you know, they're a search company and it, this kind of voice, uh, doesn't really work for search because you don't want to have ads in there so if you're asking and you say okay google um you know oops i think just came on let me turn this on <laughs> <laughs> i hate it when we talk about these things uh i have to make sure all these devices are uh you know when you say okay google and and you want some information like you know when's the next showing of this movie you don't want it to throw an ad in there that says you know oh by the way would you like to learn more about you know this other TV show that's coming out in three weeks or something. So uh, his point was interesting that, that Amazon's in this perfect place to monetize this, by products. it's kind of the killer app for voice monetization and i never really kind of put much thought about that but uh it is pretty interesting and even if google had it you know how are they going to monetize it are they going to have like a shopping engine in the back end of that where you know you say hey i need an air filter and then google's going to say we have 86 vendors vendor number one lowe's vendor number two home depot vendor number three you know it, it just is not a really good the the web interface and the way google makes money doesn't translate so um so, just kind of pause there and get your your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I do think it's interesting. Based on the this show alone, you would go, "Oh my god, voice is going to definitely become a, a common user interface, or what you know they call natural language." Um, and it fundamentally changes a, the monetization of a bunch of these things, right? So, you you certainly mentioned ads, which would have a huge impact. Uh, but even think about like the other Google products, like search. Um, not only can you not embed ads on the side, you can't do the instant recommendations that used to you know, drive more people to the head terms instead of to long tail terms. And uh, when you do SEO for voice, um, it ends up working very different because Google has taught us when we type to sort of use shorthand. So we might just type pizza into the the search box in Google when we're really looking for pizza near me. Um, and we don't give Google that hint that we're looking for, for a pizza place versus the history of pizza. Um, but when you use natural language, you tend to talk in complete sentences. And so you give the search engine much more context to give you a more accurate search result. And to your point, that generally is only a single search result versus a list of search results. And so that, that feels like a pretty big game changer. Um, and what's funny is, you know, Amazon has become so, so dominant uh, with this Echo platform that, or the Alexa platform, rather, that um, a lot of manufacturers are just default choosing Amazon versus the other solutions without a lot of thought. And in some cases, that seems crazy. Like, so, I, you know, I took some of our cli- our Target clients on a tour of the Samsung booth last year and Samsung had the Alexa integration and, you know, they're demoing for Target that, yeah, you you put all your stuff in our refrigerator and when you run out of something, you reorder it from Amazon. Um, And, you know, that's, that's not what target wants to hear. Right. And those LG wants target and Best Buy and Walmart to all carry those refrigerators. um, But they're not so interested in carrying something that comes with a Amazon fulfillment channel. And so, you know, thinking about that fulfillment channel being tied to the voice platform, you know, I, you know, manufacturers need to be careful and a little more strategic um, and the, the last thing that I, kind of surprised me on the floor is Alexa is already so well-known in this space that it's almost becoming a synonym for voice interface. So a lot of people t- you know, in, in booth talked about their Alexa interface when they actually just meant that you could talk to the device and it wasn't in fact using an Amazon product. So it's almost becoming sort of like Kleenex.
0: Wow. Yeah. The, um, and, and to your target story, you know, if you're target, what do you do? Do you speak? You know, do you spend sixty million bucks on getting a seven thousand you know node GPU server and hiring fifteen hundred machine learning experts? (laughs) You know, there's no retailer that can sustain that. It's it's kind of a little little scary. No, but you Uh,
1: do. Luckily for them, like IBM and Google have spent similar amounts of money. So so potentially you could use one of those platforms. Um, And I will say, like an interesting note. Samsung was showing the Alexa integration last year, and this year had moved to their own speech recognition technology. So they they took Alexa out of the their smart refrigerators, and LG put Alexa into their refrigerators, but LG actually sells two different models. They sell an Android-based refrigerator that runs Alexa, and they sell a Microsoft-embedded Windows-based refrigerator that runs Cortana. And I suspect that like, while it makes no sense to ask the consumer to pick operating systems for their refrigerators, and that seems crazy, I suspect that they have those two SKUs specifically because they want a SKU that they can sell the people that would not accept an Amazon SKU. Hmm. Very interesting.
0: Cool. Um, another thing I kind of saw that was, you know, Am- Microsoft was at the show talking about uh, Cortana, which is their voice recognition, uh, and they had one of their... Uh, their labs people, and, and a lot of people don't realize it, but Microsoft's been really kind of working on this for a long time, and, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, they started their team in 1995, uh, and the error rate was almost 100%. So the voice recognition in 1995, and I think a lot of us have tried this with like Dragon and that kind of stuff, it was, you know, it, it felt like and the way they describe it is if the failure rate's at about 20%, 25%, it feels like 100% failure rate. It's almost unusable. Um, and then what's interesting is they've made more progress in the last 30 months than the last 30 years. And, and a lot of it is this GPU thing that, you know, the The cost per GPU has plummeted, and now you can build these really big nodes, and the ability to train these things. So evidently, you know, Amazon just sits there and trains this over and over. Uh, and if your Alexa doesn't recognize a word that you're asking for, it'll denote that, and the, so the whole system gets smarter over time because it's cloud based, which which is pretty neat too. So so uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and Microsoft said, you know, we're essentially right at human parity right now. That you know a uh, uh, These, these systems can recognize things as well as you or I could, and, um, and they're even better because they speak in multiple languages and things. Um, they kind of showed this funny video that, that it feels like kind of a stretch. So, uh, but it, it's kind of, you know, this is the future as, as one vision. So there's this woman in a car and it's a smart car and it's finding her the fastest route to get home. Uh, at the same time it knows when she's about 20 minutes out. So it lets the thermostat know to adjust the temperature, turn on the lights, set the blinds to her kind of, I'm coming home, uh, preference, uh, and then the door, she walks up to the door, it recognizes that she's close. So it kind of auto unlocks, um, also realizes that she has grocery groceries that she's carrying, um, goes ahead and preheats the oven and kind of says, all right, she's probably, you know, she has she's bought the ingredients for, I don't know, lasagna and I need to preheat the oven to three fifty. Um, and then says, Hey, here's where everyone in the family is right now. Uh, reminds the kids through text that, you know, dinner will be ready in 45 minutes. Um, And then, uh, you know, tracks her heart rate. This is where it gets kind of off the rails and kind of sees that she's stressed out. So makes her a cocktail (laughs) Um, and then, you know, then reminds her she has to call her mom for her birthday or something like that. So (laughs) that's kind of, it's like kind of every possible use case you could ever imagine. Um, But some of it's pretty neat. So Tesla had an upgrade, you know, about six months ago and, um yeah you know, i was driving home and I, I have a garage door opener and i was getting ready to hit the garage door opener and it popped up this dialog and it said every day when you get to this point, you open your garage door. Do you want me to just do that for you? Um, And I said, sure. And and now, you know, sure enough, now it kind of defaults to that and I could override it if I want to. So so it is pretty neat to think about these kind of everyday little things. And now you're going to have these assistants doing them for you. Um, And, you know, I I thought that was pretty cool. And, you know, if I told you that 10 years ago, you'd be like, no way any of that's possible. But you can, you know, you can piece that together and when we see these things like the Amazon Go store, um, this is gonna really change all aspects of our life. Uh, and it's gonna be really fascinating to see. And I think it's gonna happen a lot faster than than people probably believe. Uh,
1: absolutely that I mean, in a nutshell, that's why we think uh Alexa won this this CES is it's in so many products in so many different use cases that uh, you know, it, it, it's going to get consumer adoption, and it's likely to dramatically change how how we do a bunch of things. And to your point, the you know we think of it as primarily a natural language interface, but it but you know as bigger, more big deal is the behind the scenes machine learning um, that, that these systems have, and you know that. That Microsoft video seems a little far fetched. I can tell you there were demos in the Mercedes booth where they're using sensors in the steering wheel to measure your heart rate and facial recognition to determine your sentiment. And so when the car thinks you're tired, the, the adjustable seat like subtly moves while you're driving to try to make you shift positions and stay awake. And when the car thinks you're stressed, um, it, it uh, you know does plays like more relaxing music and tries tries to you know create a more comfortable environment and you know that that also seems a little far fetched but they're they're demoing it in the car now and they're talking about in the near future that the autonomous vehicles are gonna not just learn how to drive well but learn what kind of driving pattern you're comfortable with and not comfortable with and and learn not to do things that stress you out or stress us out um, so I I think that's all really cool. Um you mentioned the GPUs Nvidia which is one of the big providers of those GPUs had a huge booth in the car hall and it was because they they've developed an autonomous car platform using machine learning uh from their chips and they're providing chips for a ton of the the machine learning um use cases out there and so it's it's sort of one of the the interesting uh side notes of the show is you know, here's a company that had this great run making, you know, chips to make video games more fun. And they, they really have found a huge, exciting new market in in artificial intelligence and machine learning.
0: Cool. Well, so if we're going to kind of um, wrap this for folks, uh, what do you think are, you know, some of the top things that retailers should be taking away from, from CES uh, if they weren't able to make it?
1: Yep. So, I mean, the big thing here is that, uh, customer expectation is moving to, uh, natural language interfaces. And so if, if consumers are starting to buy, uh, trash cans that, that has speech recognition in them, um, that, you know they're going to have that expectation across a whole variety of things, and that's both going to be products they buy, but also experiences in your store. And so, you know, it it is going to be interesting to think about how machine learning and uh, natural language interfaces manifest themselves in sort of the the physical store environment. So I'm I'm uh, eager to see that explored a little bit more. Um, the you know, I, I definitely think that we're we're moving uh, from this system of products where where you know people are focused on the features and functionality of individual products, and more towards how all of these products work well together, these these interoperable systems, um, and you know, particularly the the these you know Internet of Things and machine learning technologies are fundamentally changing um, customer expectations and customer uh, experiences, and so you know we're in the same way that our our car, um, you know, is going to be smarter about what we like and don't like, and what we need and don't need. Um, you know, our our store is certainly going to uh, need to do that as well. And you know, today I think we're you know we're pretty far behind in terms of that level of personalization. So I think uh, there there's a gap there that's about to be widened. And once again, you know, one of one of the the scariest competitors to most retailers out there, Amazon you know, is significantly ahead of the rest of the world in this space. And so, you know, we, we need to think about that carefully.
0: Yeah. One of the things that's impressive on Amazon is they're not really a company that has partnering in their DNA, right? You don't think Amazon partnering, you know? Um, So to make this work, you know, one of the big innovations is they made an open system, which was pretty interesting. And, and, you know, again, not something they've they've done per se in the device world. It's not like Kindle's amazingly open or something like that. Um, and then, you know, but then to take it to this other level, like I, I wonder, you know, what's always amazing to me about Amazon is they're able to change so quickly to achieve their goals. So so going from you know not being known as a partnering company to having seven thousand skills on the platform and it's very open. You know, you have Lowe's building skills and Home Depot and all these, you know, everyone's building skills. That, you know, the uh, default position, you could argue, would be no closed platform. But then, you know, what you're saying at the show with 700 uh, integrated partners, you know, th- that's pretty wild. And, you know, from going from not having a core competency of that to, to you know, being at CES with 700 integrated partners is, is pretty amazing uh, to, you know, that, that's just the the, their ability to um, step outside and do things that are not part of the norm
1: is at the scale they're at is always amazes me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I do think that there are these other machine learning platforms. And so I think the fact that Amazon's really good there, like isn't an insurmountable advantage because you, you know, you you can buy good solutions from Google or IBM, but what's um, scary is you know machine learning needs to learn from big data sets, and so you know what I think's really going to happen is the winners are not going to be the people that have invested the most in the machine learning uh, it's It's going to be the people with the the biggest data sets to train these machines, and you know there're again, like Amazon scale you know puts puts them you know at a, a strategic advantage against you know most specialty retail
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, Scott, uh, we have done it again. We've spent a perfectly good hour of the listeners' time. Um, as a final reminder, we're going to be live podcasting uh, starting uh, next week from the NRF Big Show in New York. So you can use our promo code, Jason and Scott J-A-S-O-N-A-N-D-S-C-O-T 20 J-A-S-O-N-A-N-D-S-C-O-T-20, uh, to get a 20% discount if you haven't gotten your tickets yet. And uh, if you do go to the show, I hope you'll make a – effort to swing by and uh, say hello to us during one of our live podcasts or at least uh, drop us a note on twitter to let us know you're there um so uh until next week happy commercing
0: thanks everyone for listening and we look forward to seeing you at nrf and seeing if some of these cool ces trends pop up there as well